Praise the Father. Let's take our Bibles and open up to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 11 through 21 to begin with. Galatians 2, 11 through 21. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned, for he used to eat with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew, a Judahite, live like a Gentile and not like a Judahite, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Judahites? We are Judahites by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Yeshua the Messiah, and we have believed in Yeshua Messiah, so that we might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no human being will be justified. But if while seeking to be justified by the Messiah, we ourselves are also found to be sinners, is Messiah then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law I have died to the law that I might live to the Almighty. I have been crucified with the Messiah. And I no longer live, but Messiah lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of the Almighty, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of the Almighty, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Messiah died for nothing. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. Last week we covered verses 11 through 14 in chapter 2 how Paul rebuked Peter openly for the sake of the gospel. See, Peter had been freely fellowshipping with the Yah-fearing yet uncircumcised Gentiles. And Peter was the first Israelite to get the revelation that the Gentiles, those outside of the covenant with Israel, could receive salvation in Messiah apart from proselytizing to Israel through circumcision. But Peter waffled in Antioch. Peter saw some men arrive who pushed that the Gentiles had to be circumcised, that is, become a Judahite in order to be saved. And when these men showed up, Peter crawfished. He began to act like he still considered the Gentiles as second-class citizens and not real covenant members. And Paul rebuked him in front of everyone there. Now, today we're going to pick this up in verse 15. I'm not sure how far we'll get. I think we're just going to cover two verses, 15 and 16. But one of the reasons I'm not sure how far we'll get is because every verse is so packed that when you begin to unpack it, it's like unpacking a van full of suitcases for a month stay in another country. That's how much is in each verse here in this text. But we're going to try to do our best. Yahweh, help me. In verse 15, Paul writes this. We are Jews, Judahites or Israelites, by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, Paul continues to show here what I've been saying so much in these sermons through Galatians. 
And that is this. In the Israelites' mind, there were two classes of people on the earth. Only two. Them and everybody else. Them meaning those who grew up in the faith of Torah, the covenant between Yahweh and Israel, and everyone else meaning those who did not grow up in the faith of Torah outside of the covenant. Now I want you to notice he says we are Jews by birth. That's another way of saying this. We've been in covenant, and Paul obviously is including himself here. He's a Judahite by birth. He's of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. We've been in covenant since the day we were born. Our parents circumcised us on the eighth day. And even the females have heard the Torah since they were born. There has never been a time when we did not keep the Sabbath or did not eat kosher or did not say our prayers at mealtime. We've always known the Mighty One because that's all we've ever known. We've never known any different. I want you to think about it like this. There are some of us who were raised in a Christian home, and then there are some of us in here today who were not. Now, all I can remember, it doesn't make me any better than anybody else, but all I can remember is going to church, singing, praise songs to the Creator, praying, taking communion, etc. Because I was raised from diapers now to a grown man with five children, a daughter-in-law, and a son-in-law. That's all I've ever known. So in that sense, I was sheltered from the ways of the world. But there are some of you here that did not grow up like that. You grew up outside of the church. You grew up with parents who did not care about the Bible. You may have known about certain Bible verses. You probably had heard of John 3.16, maybe. But you weren't raised in a home of believers. You were raised in a home of heathen unbelievers. And that's just an illustration, but I think it will help you understand Paul's bigger point here in just a moment. Paul is saying that there are only two types of people on the earth, Jew and Gentile, Israelite and heathen, in covenant and out of covenant, circumcised and uncircumcised. And Paul places himself in the category of in the covenant, in Israel, by using that pronoun we at the beginning of verse 15. We are Jews by birth, he says, talking about himself, Peter, Barnabas, and even the men that came from James. He's saying, we all grew up in the faith, guys, and even the Judahite women that were in the Antioch assembly, they grew up in the faith. But why does he then say Gentile sinners in verse 15? Why does he add the word sinners on the end of the word Gentile? I think he is stressing the fact that anyone outside of Israel grew up as transgressors of the law, breakers of the law. They did not keep the Sabbath. They did not eat kosher. They did not pray the set prayers. They did not read or learn Holy Scripture. They dwelt in foreign nations outside of the land of Israel. And they quite often grew up in homes that worshipped foreign mighty ones. Now, even the Gentile Yah-fearers, like Cornelius the Italian in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius did not grow up in a home that feared the Almighty, more than likely. Had he been born to Israelite parents, they would have circumcised him at eight days old. But Cornelius was a grown man, he was an adult man with a family, and yet he was still uncircumcised. He was a Yah-fearer 
at the time that the angel showed up to him in Acts 10. He was a Yah-fearer, but he was uncircumcised. He was a second-class citizen that was attending synagogue service as a Elohim-fearer with the Judahites, but he was not considered to be part of the covenant, but still an outsider that could only fellowship and only come up to a certain point in the worship and service of the Creator. His uncircumcision was a mark that he was still outside of the covenant of Israel. So Cornelius was a Gentile sinner and not a Jew by birth. Yet at the time that he was given the gospel, he'd already left his old ways. That's what I talked about a moment ago about the synagogue he attended. He'd already left his old ways. He had attached himself in whatever way he could to the synagogue. And he even had a good reputation with the nation of Judah. But he was second class in their eyes. And the reason he was considered second class, brothers and sisters, listen carefully. The reason he was considered second class was because of his ethnicity. He was not a Judahite by birth. Cornelius was considered an outsider. You aren't one of us by birth, Cornelius, so we're going to keep you at a distance. The gospel to the Gentiles that Paul preached said that Cornelius could be a first-class believer, a first-class person by believing in the Messiah without proselytizing to Judah, without becoming circumcised. Cornelius would be considered equal with Paul, Peter, and Barnabas by virtue of his faith in Yeshua as the promised Messiah, by virtue of simply trusting and simply believing that Yeshua is who he claimed to be. That's exciting to me. It didn't have anything to do with his ethnicity or his skin color or who he was or was not. Simply by faith, trust in the Messiah. And so Paul names the two groups here in verse 15, and I believe that it's low-key backhand in Peter's face. I sense a little sarcasm. This may not be correct, but this is what I sense from reading the text and studying the text. I sense sarcasm on Paul's part in verse 15 because of what he goes on to say in verse 16. I want to read those two verses together. He says, we, follow the pronouns, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we, same we, Jews by birth, yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Yeshua Messiah. And we, that is Jews by birth, we have believed in Messiah Yeshua so that we, Jews by birth, might be justified by faith in Messiah and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Now this is one of those texts that I've seen Messianic believers, Torah keepers, Hebrew roots, adherents, try to explain away. And what I mean is that it sounds too anti-law, too anti-Torah to them, so they try to make it say something other than what it says. Now, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to explain it, but I'm not going to explain it away. I believe the verse. The reason I think Paul is being sarcastic in verse 15 is because in verse 16 he goes on to write about how that those who are Jews by birth, the we... We are not justified by the works of the law. In other words, in other words, Paul is saying Israelites are still 
sinners too. Now, Torah keepers I've met over the years, and I consider myself a Torah keeper, by the way. I keep Sabbath. My family keeps Sabbath. We keep kosher. I mean, you know, we're not perfect in the law. That's what I'm going to talk about. But we are Torah observant, okay? We follow in the footsteps of Yeshua. But Torah keepers that I've met over the years, they've always had a problem referring to their self as a sinner. It's kind of a curse word. I taught a class one time at another congregation, and I titled that class Torah 101. And part of the class was explaining how none of us have observed the Torah in the way it was written and commanded to be observed. Now, you say that in a room full, a congregation full of people that are Torah observant, and you're going to get some eyebrows raised, some mumbling, some page turning, and some people are probably going to cut you off and not listen to anything else that you have to say. <laughs> and then you'll get a lot of questions at the end. Well, I explain how that we're all sinners. None of us have kept Torah in the way it was written and commanded to be kept. And one guy in the front did not like that, and I saw him start squirming when I said that. That's how I knew he didn't like it. Sometimes when you teach, you can tell what parts people don't like because they squirm or they wince in their seat. <laughs> but if something makes you squirm or wince, that may be the very part you need to listen to carefully. Some people, when I get through preaching a message, they'll say, man, Brother Matthew, I felt like you were speaking directly to me. And if you feel that way, if the Holy Spirit is, is dealing with you during a sermon, don't, re don't reject that. Don't push that to the side. Because if you feel like the sermon is just for you, then it probably is. And that doesn't mean if you don't feel like the sermon is for you. That doesn't mean it's not for you. Well, after the class that I taught, he questioned me on being a sinner. And he said he was in Messiah. So he couldn't be classified as a sinner anymore. Now, now theologically, I agree. By virtue of being in Christ, we are found righteous before our Heavenly Father. But it's not because we are such righteous people, but because Yeshua was without spot or blemish as the perfect or complete lamb. So when the Hebrew Bible uses the word without blemish, you remember those times in the Hebrew Bible without blemish when it's talking about the animal sacrifices? The underlying Hebrew word is tamim, with its primary meaning being complete, like not missing anything. We might illustrate this with a complete puzzle. No pieces are missing or a complete pie that is freshly made out of grandmama's oven. Well, an animal sacrifice was to be complete, nothing missing, a prize animal, every part intact, stunning, healthy, vibrant. Yeshua, as the Lamb of Yahweh, is missing nothing. He is tamim. He is complete. We are missing parts. Brother Matthew is missing a lot of parts. Brother Matthew has committed many sins. You have committed many sins. And it's not just the Gentile sinners that are missing parts, but also the Jews by birth that are missing parts. The Israelites by birth, that's what Jews by birth means. People in the covenant of Yahweh, he made with Israel. Israelites by birth, they're missing parts too. And when we are joined to the Messiah, Yahweh the Father receives us both, Jews by birth and Gentile sinners, as equal because of our attachment and our union and our joining to Yeshua, 
Not because of who we are personally, not because of who we are socially, not because of who we are ethnically, not because of the color of our skin or the color of our eyes or our last name or our family lineage, but because we're attached with the only man who is Tamim, the only person who is perfect and without blemish. So I agreed with the gentleman on not being a sinner in the sense that we're in Messiah. But then I asked him, I said, do you sin? And he was hesitant, but he said, yes, I sin. <laughs> then I asked him, how often do you sin? And man, this is when people get squirmy. Because I'll tell you, and it's only by the grace of Yahweh that I can say this, but I sin every day. I sin every hour. I sin in ways that I don't even realize and I don't know about. And it's because I'm a sinner saved by grace and not by the works of the law. But a lot of people don't want to admit that. This is where self-righteous people get very squirmy. And I'm not just throwing off on this gentleman. He was a very nice gentleman. I used to not like to talk about the fact that I'm a sinner. I used to be one of the people that wanted to put up the facade and wanted everybody else to think that I was more educated, knowledgeable, and observant in the Torah than they were. And Yahweh delivered me, Brother Matthew, Yahweh delivered me from that bondage. Because in the back of my mind, in the heart of my heart, I knew that I was not who I was presenting myself to be. And do you know how freeing it was to be delivered from that slavery? And to be able to say openly, even as a pastor, as an elder in a congregation, a teaching elder, I am a sinner saved by grace. But not only am I a sinner, brothers and sisters, so are you. And so is every single person that has ever been born. Minus the Messiah. We're all sinners. We've all transgressed Yahweh's holy law multiple times. Well, the man began to explain to me about Yahweh renewing our mind and renewing our heart and putting new desires in us. And I shook my head up and down. Yes, yes, I agree. And I even expressed that I believe by the Holy Spirit within us that we can grow to further levels of holiness in the law. I believe that. I believe in sanctification. But then I asked him again, but do you still sin? See, if you cannot call yourself a sinner, I'm not sure that you believe the gospel. The Pharisee in Luke 18 did not call himself a sinner. As a matter of fact, when he prayed to himself, and I love how Brother Luke puts that, he prayed thus to himself. He went on and on and on about how good he was. Look at me. I do this. I do that. I pay tithes. I pray. I fast twice a week. I give alms. Look at everything that I do. I'm glad I'm not like this guy beside me. But when the tax collector prayed, he said, Yahweh, have mercy on me, or Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Yeshua says that that man, the publican, the tax collector, that man went home justified because whoever exalts himself will be abased, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That man went home justified. He went home declared innocent in the court of law where the judge is the creator of the heavens and the earth 
The tax collector went home justified, not because of anything he had done, but simply because he admitted he was a sinner and needed the mercy of the Lord for salvation. See, justified is a word. Galatians 2.16 uses it. It is a word that means to be declared innocent in Yahweh's court of law. Justified doesn't necessarily mean you are innocent, but it means that you have been acquitted. The gavel of the Lord has come down on his desk and the verdict of not guilty has been spoken by the judge himself. That's what it means to be justified. And Paul tells Peter, Barnabas, and every Judahite by birth in Antioch today, we, we Jews by birth, we know this. No one is justified by works of the law, but by faith in Yeshua Messiah. And Paul's emphasis on works of the law here in this text, I believe works of the law can be a general description of the entire moral code, how we ought to live. But I think Paul's emphasis on works of the law in context is specific or specifically in reference to the deeds within the law that the Judahites believed made them better than the Gentiles. The outward things, specifically circumcision. My foreskin has been cut. Yours has not. I'm better than you because of that. The Judahite was looking down through his nose, so to speak, on the Gentile and thinking, I'm righteous because I was born a Jew. I was born an Israelite. That's my ethnicity, and I'm circumcised because of that. You see, circumcision and being an Israelite is linked that way. Whenever Galatians uses the term circumcision, it's talking about, you're not a Jew by birth. You uncircumcised person, I am. So their mentality was, I'm righteous because I'm an Israelite, and it doesn't matter how much you believe in Yeshua, you're still a Gentile sinner, you're unrighteous because you weren't born a Jew, and you're uncircumcised. Many of the Judahites were thus trusting in their circumcision, i.e., that shorthand for trusting in their ethnicity, what family they were born into for their justification. They believed and trusted in who they were naturally, fleshly, skin, instead of trusting in Yeshua. And Paul says, we should know better than this, guys. I think that's Paul's meaning. We know this, meaning we should know this. And why does Paul say we should know this? Because the Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures, what we've been taught teaches this. Let me go through a few verses. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There isn't a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Psalm 130 says that if Yahweh kept track of iniquities, who could stand before him? Psalm 143 says that no one alive is righteous in the sight of Yahweh. Those are all Old Testament, not New Testament. Even the men of Israel who were deemed the holiest in the land still fell short of being complete. Prophet Moses was not allowed in the promised land because he disobeyed Yahweh's instructions. King David tried to cover up his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba. Paul is saying we should know this, guys. We aren't any better than the Gentiles just because we were born into this thing. And Paul thus goes on in the second part of verse 16 to say, and we, speaking of we Judahites by birth, we have believed in Messiah Yeshua so that we might be justified by faith. In Messiah. 
and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being or no flesh, Jew by birth or Gentile sinner, will be justified. Paul is telling all the Messianic Judahites there in Antioch and any that may have read this epistle later. We believed in Yeshua too, guys. Our law-keeping fell short too, guys. It's the Torah that is perfect, not us. It's Yeshua, the Torah-made flesh, that is complete, not us. We're missing parts. We are not Tamim. Yeshua is Tamim. He's the only one that's complete. We had to believe in him too to be justified. Now, do you see that phrase in verse 16, the faith in Yeshua Messiah? Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, never claimed to be, but the Greek scholars I have read say that it can legitimately be translated two ways, faith in Yeshua Messiah or faith of Yeshua Messiah. Faith meaning in that second sentence, the faithfulness of Yeshua the Messiah. And I like both renderings. I don't have a problem with either one. We are justified, declared innocent in Yahweh's court, not by the works of the law, not by being circumcised, not by keeping the Sabbath, not by eating kosher, not by wearing tassels. And I do all those things. I wear tassels, I eat kosher, I keep Sabbath, and I am physically circumcised. Not on the eighth day, I'm not an eighth dayer like Paul was, but I'm physically circumcised. But none of that declares me innocent. None of that declares me innocent. If I die trusting in those things to make it into the kingdom of heaven, I will die a lost man. Because Brother Matthew simply is not good enough. Brother Matthew is not good. What declares us innocent is by placing our faith in Messiah who did no sin, zero sin. By trusting in the one whom Yahweh sent, the one who was tempted in all points, just as we are, yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15. At the same time, we're justified by the faithfulness of Yeshua Messiah, his faithfulness, not ours. Every time of our life where we have failed, he did not. Every time in our life where we did not honor Yahweh, he did honor Yahweh. Every blemish we have, every incompleteness we have, he does not have. It is by his faithfulness, not our own, that we are justified. Now the Torah keeper responds, but Brother Matthew, what about this verse? What about that verse? What about James 2, 14 through 26? Listen, I listened to Brother TJ there preach on James 2, 14 through 26, and I loved every sermon and I believed every word. But listen to me, Torah keeper. Hush for a second. Humble yourself in the sight of Yahweh. Get a hold to this text because what these Bible verses say and mean, we are to believe as well. Quit trying to focus on what you are doing and set your sights on the one who did everything so much better than you ever have or ever will. I am afraid, brothers and sisters, I am afraid that many Torah-observant people in our community, I'm not just speaking about this congregation, but in our worldwide community, people who believe that we are to follow Yeshua's example in Torah, I'm afraid that many in the Torah-observant community are trusting in the works of the law for their justification instead of the faithfulness of Yeshua. 
Now, I cannot see into men and women's hearts, but that's what I think is happening because of outward things that I have seen and heard. People get the revelation. It is a great revelation that we should be obedient to the commandments. Yeshua said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He told his disciples, you make sure to teach them to observe everything that I've commanded. So it's a great revelation that we're to follow in the footsteps of Yeshua and obey Yahweh's law. But I'm afraid that oftentimes that begins to overshadow the faithfulness of Yeshua. We begin trusting in the shadow instead of the substance. We lose sight of the fact that we are all sinners saved by grace. Brothers and sisters, the very first reason that Yahweh gave us his law was to point out our sin and our need for a savior. The first reason is not to make us feel better than others or to even instruct us in how we ought to live. That's not the first use or the reason for the law. The first reason is to make our transgressions come to light. Galatians 3 has a lot to say about that. We'll get to it in the future. But that's the first use of the law, to make known our transgressions, to shine a big flashlight right down on our sin. And sadly, to many first century Judahites, they did not get it. They distorted the gospel into including themselves. And I think some Torah keepers do the same today. Listen, if I have to trust in myself for my salvation, I am doomed. Because I am not good by nature. The harder I try, believe you me, I have tried very hard. <laughs> the harder I try, the more I see my sin. The closer I get to Yahweh, the holier he looks. So I have decided, I have, I have decided by grace to trust in the faithfulness of Yeshua. And brothers and sisters, I hope that you too will decide to do the same because you are not good by nature and you'll never be good enough to stand before the, the judgment of Almighty Yahweh and be justified by anything that you have done or do. Trust in Yeshua today. He is complete. So you want to be linked hand in hand, arm in arm with him. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. May the words of our brother, our beloved apostle, Shaul, may they, may they sink into our minds and our hearts. I know we heard them with our ears today. I pray that we were listening, though. Oh, Yahweh, Father, thank you for the revelation that your law has not been abolished. May that revelation never be primary. And what I mean, Yahweh, is may it never get into our minds that we're right before you because of anything that we do. Let us trust solely in Yeshua, your son, for our salvation. It's through him I pray.